Welcome to True Mysteries, stories of the strange and unexplained. And we've been following the adventures of Ray Ruckus, a paranormal investigator from the Alaskan Triangle where he confronted Bigfoot, but didn't have a camera, to the uh, most haunted place in Japan on Hokkaido Island, a round schoolhouse where he actually walked through the fourth dimension. He had a camera, took pictures of the shadow people there. Now he's on his way. Um, he's going to help out uh, regarding a curse and a documentary on Pirate Island. Oh, kid, that sounds great. You know, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, a lot of people ask me, am I reading a script? And you're right, I'm reading a script. And in preparation for a book that's coming out in October, it's a paranormal reader's bedside manner. Over 400 stories, uh, the, uh, my encounters with everything from haunted uh, cemeteries and witches and ghosts and you name it, Bigfoot now in Alaska and the doorway to the fourth dimension. I was relieved at this point in my career to get a call from uh, Cal Ritter, who does documentaries, and he was uh, going to bring me in to be the expert and to figure out about this curse. So I'm going to pick it up from there, Kit. Well, just a minute. I want to let people know that this Friday, that is tomorrow, I'll be giving away 25 free audiobooks of my thriller project, Deep Water. And I'll be explaining at the end of this podcast how you can go ahead and get your free audiobook. It's a full novel, professionally edited and narrated. And now you're on for sure. Well, thank you, kid. I'm sorry to have gotten in the way of that. <laughs> That's all right. That's, don't worry about it. All right, here we go. Well, normally Cal and his group, that would be Cal Ritter, who wrote me that letter inviting me to Pirate's Island. Normally, the crew would fly into Pirate's Island, but as we stood at the water's edge, remember, I'd flown into Madagascar, and I met some of his crew, and there we were standing at the edge of the water, so it was four miles out to Pirate Island, and there he was with me, and he told me that there wasn't a pilot in all of Madagascar that would even fly over the island. While he drove off to meet the crew, I was to take one of the smaller Zodiacs and along with his location manager, find a place suitable to set up camp for a production crew of 12. Well, the Zodiac reminded me of the one I sat in off Potluck, Alaska, waiting for the float plane, except smaller with several patches. Cal was told that it was a four-man Zodiac, but Billy Cruz, the location manager, myself, and an oversized gym bag filled the raft. The four-mile trek across rough water was, well, I was okay, but poor Billy was green by the time we approached the beach. Fortunately, the landing was smooth as glass on a beautiful beach, and once Billy had his uh, land legs under him, we headed for the airstrip. Now, it had been unused due to the curse. Aside from a long, flat strip of land, there was nothing to indicate it was an airfield except for a windsock and a small shack. When we walked up the strip toward the shack, a short man wearing nothing but a short pair of cut-off jeans stepped out pointing a double-barrel shotgun at us. Billy held up both hands and explained that we had permission from the government to be on the island. The man who turned out to be a native to the island, well, he said his name was Guma. He was the only islander to remain after the death of the tourist. I interrupted the conversation to inquire the whereabouts of the tunnels and the location where the tourists had died. 
I needed to draw a parallel between the place where the tourists died and the tunnels to deal with the curse. I told him that anyway. I took off up a small hill located about the center of the island was no doubt with the best view. Guma had said the first tunnel opening was at the north edge of the Pirate Cemetery. Sure enough, there it was. It looked like a pit. Just beyond uh, were 30 headstones, and diagonally across the pirate graveyard was the opening for the second tunnel. Guma had said that the bodies of the tourists were found on either side of the opening of the third tunnel, which he said was 30 or 40 feet back from the center of the graveyard. And that was a bit of a problem. The pirate graveyard was fascinating, although many of the dates and phrases were unreadable, having been blown smooth from many typhoons that had come off the Indian Ocean since the 17th century. Still, they all had the best view and were on the highest point of the island. I was pacing around trying to determine where the middle of the graveyard had been, how far it had extended back in the day. Guma had said the opening for the third tunnel in the location where the tourist bodies had been found was about a hundred yards back from the center of the graveyard. Maybe he meant the center of what's left of the graveyard. No matter, I was having no luck at finding the opening of the third tunnel and it was getting dark. I had no ambition to tromp around the high weeds and jungle-like conditions in the dark and headed back to the airstrip. When it came into sight, there was only one tent, a sure sign that Cal hadn't returned with his crewmen. Billy was kind enough to invite me into his tent. We figured that Cal had been held up and would arrive bright and early the next morning. Without ambient light, once the sun went down, man, it was pitch black, and there was only the occasional chirp or growl that neither of us could identify. I woke up in a sweat and figured the humidity at about 70%, maybe 80%. I dug into the gym bag I always bring along until I found my river shoes, found the trail that led to the beach, and went for a swim to wash the grime off. It was only when I waded out of the water that I noticed that the Zodiac was gone. When I got back to the tent, Bill informed me that Guma was not in his shack. When I told him the Zodiac was missing, we both figured it was Guma and that he had taken it and was probably no longer on the island. We walked down to the beach on the offhand chance that it had been washed down the beach by high tide or something. We didn't find the Zodiac. What we did find was a dugout canoe. Billy said if Cal didn't arrive by noon, he would take the canoe back to Madagascar and track him down. Knowing Billy's tendency to seasickness, I volunteered to make the trip, if necessary. But he was determined. Noon came and went, and so did Billy. I sat on the beach and watched his progress until he was just a speck. Brushed myself off and decided to check in the airstrip in case Guma had returned, grab a bite, and then head back out to the graveyard. I laughed as I followed my own path to the top of the hill of the graveyard. I had the island to myself. I tried three more times to find the opening of the third tunnel and decided that if I couldn't find it, I would rappel down one of the others. I secured the climber's rope to a tree. It was about ten feet from the first opening or opening of the first tunnel I'd found and tossed the remaining twenty-five feet down the opening. The first ten feet afforded enough space so I could lean back and truly rappel. Then down the ways the tunnel narrowed and I was descending hand over hand. I was wearing a headlamp and so was constantly looking down wishing I had brought a jumar for going back up the rope. When the end of the rope came into sight, the last two feet were quarter 
coiled on what looked like a step. It was just in time because my hands were rope burned, even through the gloves. Well, they weren't really burned, but boy, I could feel it. Just a bit. I had a sewing machine leg in both my arms. Very fatigued. If you know a sewing machine leg, that's when your leg kind of spasms <laughs> and it doesn't work all that well. At first glance, it looked like I was standing on the bottom of the tunnel. But when I spun a slow circle, one of the shadows turned out to be another tunnel leading off horizontally. The surrounding area wasn't clay exactly, but something similar that led me to believe that the walls weren't going to cave in on me. Also, I figured if this tunnel had survived a couple hundred years of typhoons, it probably wasn't going to collapse now. So I continued on at the tunnel. I checked my watch and counted steps. Just over 15 minutes, I was confronted with a sharp right turn. I turned my head so that the light shined down the tunnel. Remember, it's pitch black down there except for the light in my helmet. And I couldn't see the end of the tunnel and decided to backtrack and climb back out, sure that Billy and Cal and his crew would be setting up camp in the airstrip. Wrong. Well, I'm going to stop right there. It uh, gets pretty exciting, <laughs> and I actually find somebody in the town, and Guma comes back into the picture. Well, this is Ray Ruckus. Kid, I'm turning it back over to you. Thank you, Ray. That sounds really exciting. Um, you actually got into one of the tunnels and found something? I did indeed, but I'm going to hold that off until tomorrow. Okay, it sounds great. And tomorrow is the day I give away 25 of my thrillers, Project Deepwater, for free. They are audiobooks. They are fully novel, full novels, uh, professionally narrated. And all you have to do is contact me at Kit krum at gmail.com and tell me you want a copy of Project Deepwater. I will email you a code with instructions on how to use it, pretty simple, to get your free audio version of Project Deepwater. Well, this is Kit Crum and this is Ray Ruckus. Be sure to listen tomorrow when I take you down into the tunnel and uh, we find out if Cal shows up and where Billy comes into play and is Guma returned to the island. Thanks for listening.